Everybody, 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 drop your buff, stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are here recapping episode six of The Challenge USA. Evan, what did you think of this episode? Well, if you didn't know, Danny's wife is Kiki, and he is playing the game for his wife, Kiki. So it felt good just because I remember last week thinking, who? what's Danny doing here? Who is he playing the game for? <laughs> And then we got it clarified this week uh, once again. Uh, not only level... did we get it, not only did we get it clarified, but we got some Kiki lore here. We have mm. uh, a trip to Jamaica, Kiki being a fearless challenge beast, jumping off of a cliff. Like I think we're primed to have Kiki on the Challenge USA too. It's true, and you know what? I will say I did just interview the showrunner for the challenge, not the Challenge USA, but for the challenge proper for a story that I'm working on, like a, a written piece. And I did get a little bit of insight as to like what's ahead. And, and he didn't by any means explicitly say there's any kind of blood versus water. But I do think based off of the success of the Challenge USA, he did say when I asked if there's a desire to pull Challenge USA contestants into the fold of the challenge, and that seems highly likely. So in our fantasy blood versus water for the challenge, maybe we could get Kiki in there. And I know that they've had Survivor players on the challenge proper, but I think this could feed more of like a a vast ecosystem. Mm. Anyway, also. Yeah, go ahead. Just one more thing, since you mentioned the showrunner of The Challenge, I had a listener message me with a very interesting little behind-the-scenes tidbit here that one of the producers of The Challenge and The Challenge USA is none other than Survivor Palau's Katie Gallagher, icon, queen, legend. Let's get her on Bring her back. Bring her back. Um... So top level, I mean, I just absolutely loved this episode from top to bottom. And I just kept thinking how excited I was to have a podcast to talk about it because I just had, there were so many moments, both big and small throughout this episode. And there's just so much to unpack about it. They were able to execute so much storytelling in this episode. They were able to throw me off the scent of who was going home. They were able to despite the fact that there are still a hundred people in this cast, they were able to, uh, you know, uh, diversify the, the who was in what scene. I felt like I got a sense of a lot of players in this episode and they also did a ton of setting up for what's to come. My only note would be, and I think we've seen this happen on this show, but also others was that you have this big final moment from the last episode. And so you pick up this episode being like, Oh my God, what's going to happen. And I feel like we got like, a one minute resolve and then it was sort of like, okay, and moving on. Hmm. Interesting. But I do think that that's still building to something bigger down the line. I did think there was a missing scene between either Sarah and Tyson or Ben and Tyson or all three of them sort of not necessarily like remedying the situation, but at least like, like, you know, obviously they're coexisting and like, where did we land from like a social standpoint? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting because I felt like we got a good amount of follow-up from Tyson's decision to put Sarah into the arena last week. And not just in the beginning, but, you know, it really factored heavily into the strategy, although they didn't, you know, go uh, if they didn't go in that direction of putting, you know, either Sarah and Ben or Tyson and Kira into the arena. um, It was at least discussed quite a bit, I felt like. And so I was happy on that front. I was a little like personally let down by this episode because I felt like not a lot happened for me. Or I guess the moves that were made were very safe. And after sort of, you know, seeing Alyssa turn on Xavier and then Tyson turn on Sarah and all of that happened, this week felt like a little bit of a dip for me. 
Well, so I think that's the interesting thing about a show like this, because we're six episodes in, but when you have a cast this large, we still have a lot of game left to play. So I agree with you. Like it was absolutely a safe decision, especially coming off of last week's episode. At the same time, if every week is at the level of last week by way of like, not blindside per se, but like, you know, really like go in for the jugular, then I feel like if, if, you, if you're if you constantly raising the stakes and they're always operating at that level, I feel like that's very limiting by way of where things can go. So I feel like in some senses you need episodes like this to allow for episodes like last week's and also to keep building upon, you know, pre-existing plots and and things that are are sort of yet to be unpacked. So I see what you're saying, but I also don't know. I feel like that's sort of, oh, that tends to happen with these shows in this middle area um, where there's just still so many options left by way of voting. Like there were multiple decisions that could have been made last night that would cause no ripples. Like I know there was a huge consideration around Leo and pardon me, what's Leo's, what was Leo's partner's name? The Amazing Race woman? Kayla. Kayla. Like that would have caused no drama. What's like the fact that there's just so many options and without consequence tells you that like we're still very early in the game despite the fact that we're kind of at the middle point it seems. Right. And I just want to note like going into last night's like the beginning of last night's episode there were there are 18 contestants left. Like that is just there are so there's Yeah, this is the, the start of a survivor six, season. Exactly. Like there's still and so also to the to the point of sort of like tracking the characters I kept thinking, gosh, there's so many people that they have to storytell around. And then I'm like, wait, thinking back upon episode one, and like, we could get a full cast out of eliminated contestants from this alone. It is interesting to think about the considerations around, you know, the more people you cast, the the more plane tickets, the more beds, the more product food you have to have for production, the more camera operators you have to have for coverage. Um, there's so many considerations around having a cast this robust. And so it's interesting that why they landed on something this big. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. More is better the way I see it. But it is interesting that they like chose such a large cast. Yeah. And I think I've started to feel really, really comfortable with the cast in the past sort of two episodes, I guess. I felt like I really had a handle on who everybody is, what's motivating them, where they're landing in terms of their strength and ability. And then we get to this episode and, you know, we have this, uh, one of the early scenes, Enzo and David talking about, you know, their time on Big Brother and sort of where they're seeing themselves in the game. And I was like, who are these people? (laughs) Enzo in particular, I was like, where did this guy come from? What's his story? I I think David said something to the effect of like, talking about Big Brother, I was out on the first night. Is that true? Was he like first out? Uh, Well, David's played twice, um, and he did poorly both times. Uh, And also, David is not well-liked in the Survivor community at all, just because Big Brother community? Excuse me, sorry. In the Big Brother community, because he talks a big game, but never executes on it. But in the All-Stars season that happened two or three years ago now, the the one where they brought Janelle and Kaiser back, uh, David was, if he was one of the first out, but also he was when they first released the cast list. I remember people being like, wow, there's so many icons on this show. What is David doing here? Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Well, I was asking myself the same here, but uh, I think we've gotten more David content, so I feel more comfortable with him. But Enzo's still a big question mark for me. Enzo kind of came out of nowhere. I felt like I know all the Love Island girls way better than I know Enzo. You know, I know the Amazing Race contestants You mean the Ligs? (laughs) Did you catch that? Did somebody say that? Yeah, so uh, right before, uh, is Shannon the name of the eliminated player? Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, we hadn't met her a lot, so pardon me for not knowing her name. But right when Shannon left, she gave a shout out to her Ligs. And I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, Love Island Girls. Oh, I love that. Yeah, her Ligs. I really love that. Justine and Cachet. Who are icons. Oh, and Kira. They're like the star, like those Love Island Girls have, the Ligs have taken over this show. (laughs) Cachet and Justine. Justine are like my number ones watching. Oh my God. And can we just say, I know we said it before, but Justine is so beautiful. Every time she's on screen, 
I'm like, that's the first thought I have. She's just so beautiful. She, I was going to say she should be on Top Model, but that's like beneath her. She should um, be on Love Island. Wasn't she on Love Island? <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh. Bring her back. <laughs> no, but truly it's just like, give her a campaign. Like give her something. She's, she's just, she's very striking. Yeah. And Cachet brings so much to the show. Like she oh my God, really the, wears uh, her heart on her sleeve. She does. And the shot of her meditating in the morning. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? It was like mm-hmm. a really wide shot of her outside. I was like, this is art. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into the episode a little bit. We have the algorithm and some interesting things to note here about the algorithm because it has finally run out and we get our first repeat pairing where we have Dom and Angela paired together and Angela's got this great line where she's talking, first of all, she's like, what? I've already been with Dom. And then that's when TJ announces, well, you know, mathematically we have run out of uh, pairings. So we're going to, you're the first pair to be repeated, right? And then as we recall, TJ said, I think in the first episode explaining the algorithm that uh, once all of the possible pairings have run out, then you can get repeat pairings, but never twice in a row. So they cannot be paired again next week, but they could be paired again in two weeks. Um, But Angela doesn't seem thrilled to be paired with Dawn, and she has this great confessional where she says, this perfect algorithm drives everyone fucking crazy, which she's speaking for the audience in that moment. Right. I do think, I mean, like like I said last week, I think it would have been far more exciting because we're, when we say algorithm, we're using air quotes. Um, and I think it would have been far more exciting for the air quotes algorithm to have put Sarah and Tyson together. Totally. Sarah and Ben. The only way that this could have worked for me is if Tyson and Angela were paired together and Sarah and yeah. Ben. Because then you would have had like these four titans going up against one another. But I felt like this was a weird sort of result. And also, they announced Tyson and Kira first. And coming off of last week, we're all waiting to see what's going to happen. It just seems like you're shooting your load kind of early here. It's like, give us the random pairings that we don't care about, like David, for instance. And it's like, save us, like build something up. Yeah, yeah. Also interesting here that we get Leo and Kayla, who are both the Amazing Race, or the last two Amazing Race contestants. And anything else here? Um, well, no, just worth noting, it's like, again, with this sort of bizarre edit of Leo, where it's like, last week, the strategy is like, no one wants to be paired with Leo. Leo's such a dud. So you would think when, you know, this week, when, uh, I'm sorry, I, Kayla, God, I need to remember her name. You would think this week when Kayla got paired with her, we would have gotten a confessional being like, fuck, like I'm stuck with Leo. But that didn't seem to be the case at all, which just makes me think it's like, I don't think Leo is. And also, as we'll get to in the challenge, it's like, I don't, Leo did a completely fine job. There were people, hello, he did the challenge unlike some. So I just sort of uh, am confused on on Leo's capabilities and where Well, not only did he do a fine job, but he also got this like heroic edit. Which we'll we'll have to we'll have to yeah we'll talk about when we talk about the challenge. Okay, so let's go over to the house after the algorithm has paired everybody up. And (laughs) 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 what is it? It's a house, yeah. I mean, I would say well, it's not. It's it's like distinctly not a house, but it's where they live. It is where they live. It's funny. It's like why not just put them in like a house, like a regular. Like I just this production design element is so specific. I also just sort of wonder, and I was just saying this to Billy because we're watching the current season of Big Brother. Do you like? Do these casts because there are whole days off, right? And it's like, do they get together and have like group meals, or is everything sort of siloed? Like we keep seeing these scenes every week where the partnered uh, pairs are sort of like out on the deck, just like hanging out and talking strategy. But is that sort of like dedicated time in which they're like, like, what if you're not friendly with the person Mm -hmm. you're paired with? Do you still go off and have time alone? And like, are there times when like the entire cast gets together and someone's like, I'm cooking dinner tonight for all for all of you? Or is it is every meal catered? What happens if they're hungry in the middle of the night and want a snack? Is the kitchen just like there's always food in there? Can you request certain foods that you like? I just have so many questions about the house. Yeah, we talked about this last week or the week before. It's right. really interesting that we don't see group meals 
Like, that's wild to me because they must be happening. Either, like, I think, I don't think that they're cooking meals in there. Otherwise, I feel like we'd see it because there's always a lot of drama around kitchen activity in reality shows. And so I think that if they were cooking meals, we would see something about that. But then if they're not cooking meals, then they're getting meals catered to them. In which case, either way... They all must be eating at the same time, and that's a group activity. And we never on this show see the entire group together interacting. Exactly. And it's curious, too, because it's like one thing that this cast distinctly shares in common is having been on reality television. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've heard this described to us by several people we've interviewed, but like the PTSD of being on a reality show and reintegrating into the real world, particularly on shows like... Big Brother and Survivor where you're isolated from humanity. Um, I would think that there's just a lot of like group conversations about having been a part of these franchises and Mm -hmm. ways in which they can relate to one another are just stories that might not necessarily be great television for the challenge. But I think for us as, you know, a host of a Survivor podcast and ostensibly for those listening that are interested in like the minutia, I just bet there's so much cutting room footage that we would just be so eager to hear. Well, I wonder if they don't show that sort of stuff because it's on CBS. I feel like maybe if it was on MTV, they would be a little more liberal about showing that kind of thing, if they were going to show it at all. Whereas CBS is you know, self-protecting here. They don't want their secrets revealed from their other reality shows. It is so interesting. These, like, these shows... <laughs> Yeah, the whole other conversation. But yes, it is very interesting that this all up funnels to the yeah this 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 CBS Paramount Plus MTV the conglomeration of it all and the fact that all of these shows these disparate shows from the challenge to Drag Race to Survivor to Big Brother like they all are under the same umbrella is just fascinating. Yeah, totally. I also must say, sorry, but for the for the challenge USA season two, I I'm not even joking you. I would be really curious if they would ever consider drag racers like it seems like so obvious and it's a incredible way to bring in new audiences to both Mm -hmm. drag race and the challenge. And I honestly think there could be some really great contenders. And I think people would be excited from the drag race community to get to see some of their faves who they've only ever seen doing like glamour like actually like kick some ass who do you think would excel at the challenge from drag race well definitely monet because i feel like monet has the sensibility cameron michaels i think would be Mm. incredible um yeah it's just like it's like you need people that would both provide like the entertaining talking heads, but I really would want people that would take it seriously. But I also yeah. would like, I'd love some underdogs in there, like just some really unexpected choices that end up just, yeah, dominating. Jan Sport. Mimi M first? Um, maybe. I mean, she clearly has the ability to pick others up, so. <laughs> okay. So the talk in the house is a lot about the breakdown of alliances. And this is where we get some of the fallout from Tyson's decision last week. Uh, Sarah talking about how uh, there was a level of disrespect that he showed her. Um, I think Sarah had a great confessional where she was talking about Tyson and said, you went about you went about this like a little bitch and I'm going to make you pay for it. So good. So she's good. a great. She's so scary. Yeah. yeah no, Terrifying. She's great. I mean, I will say, I, I do think there's like, and we talked about Just this Just look at how week. Josh Hawley ran from her. Hello. <laughs> uh, we talked about this last week where it's like, I don't think that like Sarah and Tyson have the, the survivor drama that the challenge is trying to portray. It's not as, and again, maybe my memory doesn't serve me well here, but like, Tyson's eliminations, plural, and winners at war were not like, yes, Sarah was a part of them, but they were voted on by multiple players and they were not like, it's not as though Sarah and Tyson were like this final two and Sarah backstabbed mm-hmm. him. I just don't think they have like the history that the Challenge USA is presenting. That said, like, I understand from a storytelling perspective why you want to infuse that. But to my point that I brought up at the beginning about like not feeling like this was resolved. Yes, we had the talking heads and we had Sarah talking about it. and But I don't think we had the clarity of, like, I think we needed the direct conversation because I think as two of 
both survivor veterans, but also like clearly big dogs within this competition. I think we needed some sense of like, did they move on the next day? And like, obviously things aren't great, but like, are things good or are we not talking? Like where, I think I needed more clarity around like where they landed because we got a scene for next week in which Sarah and Tyson are sitting down together on the couch talking. So clearly like they're able, they're moving forward. Obviously I think some trust has been lost. And the other thing too, I just want to mention is like, Sarah, you've played this game three times now. I would think that you would res- not not agree with, but respect Tyson making a big move. You know all about big moves. Like that's how these games work. I'm surprised that like, yes, it's uh, obviously to be backstabbed doesn't feel good, but to like be so surprised by it, it's like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I really liked here what I think was the best sort of resolution to this story that I, I was unexpected for me was when Caché sat down with Sarah and tried to do some damage control on her behalf. And I thought this was really clever. I, I wouldn't have expected this from a leg, but here's Caché just like outdoing herself here, sitting down with Sarah and basically being like, look, She's trying to wash her hands of the whole situation, saying this was all Tyson. Uh, Tyson really wanted to do this. He said that you get, he convinced me that you get close to people in order to take them out based on your sort of history on Survivor and that that would be our best move forward. And I say that it was really well done because it seems to have worked. I mean, like we get a confessional from Sarah talking about like, oh, isn't Tyson awful for like pulling Caché into this? So although Caché was an equal partner with Tyson in making that decision, she really managed to distance herself from that through a conversation with Sarah. And I thought that was brilliant. Credit to the legs. Uh, what else? I think we can just move to the daily challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this one's kind of complicated. It's called Containment. So it's played one team at a time, and the teams have to swim out, climb a ladder uh, to opposite sides of a course of shipping containers that are suspended above the water. Then they have to get up onto the shipping container and into the shipping container, counting the number of various symbols that are printed on the containers. And then they have to swing from a rope onto like a platform and then jump into the water grab a uh, key grab a key jump into the water use the key to release a value card like i felt it was a little complicated so each of the symbols has a value and then you have to times multiply the value by the number of times the symbol shows up and then add all those numbers together in order to get a code and uh, if it works, then you get a little firework display like you're at a Dua Lipa concert. Um, and if it doesn't, you have to go back out. Okay, what was really interesting about this challenge was that I was under the impression that there was a time limit, but there was not a time limit. After reviewing the tapes, there is not a time limit. And so we had two teams disqualified. And I really wanted to hear the language that TJ used when he described the challenge because I thought, oh, they they must have been disqualified because there was this time limit. But then I remembered that Sarah and Ben had to go run the challenge again. And I thought, there's no way they could run the whole challenge again when we had two teams disqualified. So it can't have been a time limit thing. What TJ said was that if you stall... If there is a stall in the challenge, you are disqualified, which is, I guess, what we had where, you know, a one team just wouldn't swing on the ropes. And then the other team had Kira in the water saying, I'm not going to do it anymore. And so, like, I don't know. There's, like, sort of a gray area there. I mean, I'm curious. Um, what was the team with the ropes? Enzo? That wouldn't It was rope? Enzo it was and Enzo, Justine. Yeah. It was Enzo and Justine with the ropes. Um, that they couldn't swing on on. Wait, the but platform. what are you trying to say? What would what would the time limit? How would that have changed any of the result? Well, because because Enzo and Justine wouldn't swing from the rope onto the platform. Theoretically, they could have been there all day until they finally got the balls to do it, and then they still would have beaten Tyson and Kira who Kira essentially gave up on the challenge, right? She got quit. it. So what you're saying is like, we don't know. There's a world in which had Enzo been given five minutes to calm his nerves, he would yeah. have been able to do it. I see. Yeah. Or was there a conversation that we didn't see with Enzo where he said, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I quit. Because that's not what we saw. We saw Kira say, I can't do it. But we didn't see Enzo say that. We just saw TJ sort of say like, mm, you're disqualified. 
Mm, I feel like we kind of did, though, because I feel like Enzo made a decision. He was, like, hesitating, and then at some point, he does say something um, under his breath, almost, being like, I'm not doing it. Mm. That was my interpretation, but I could be wrong. It's just crazy that he wouldn't do it. It's like, just swing. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to fall in the water. See, but I thought this was a really crucial moment. Not so much for Enzo, but it's very rare on these shows to see, you know, a pretty macho guy. He's not, you know, like the most macho, but like this is the kind of thing that the show shows off with its female contestants often, right? Which is like a female contestant afraid to do something and her male counterpart having to be like, okay, fine. Such was the case with Tyson and Kira, for instance. I thought it was, I don't know if the word refreshing is not the word, but I thought it was a good thing to show the fact that like, all everyone has fears, right? It's not just the women on these shows. And although it's easy to say things like, oh, why couldn't he just swing? Because I too felt that way in watching it. I think that we, not you, Sean and Evan, but like we societally would be less inclined to question it if it was a woman not doing it. Whereas with the men, we just expect them to be able to do something like this. So I, again, is appreciated the word? I don't know. But like, I, I was I was glad to see the show show off someone who didn't didn't need to explain why they couldn't do it. The sense was he was afraid and and mm-hmm. and because people have fears and he was afraid to do it. I thought that like they're definitely like the react and again going back to like the gender nature of it all, I think the reaction to him not doing it from people is rooted in this feeling that like the men on these shows should be able to do everything. And if anything is going to drag them down, it's going to be their female counterpart. And so I sort of like the texture of this narrative being that like, again, we don't know if Justine could do it because it's not as though she did it. The reason she, well, she almost attempts it, it. She yeah, almost she attempts it. it, comes back, and then they're saying, Enzo, you go, yeah. you'll be able to grab her. So there is a world in which Justine would have been able to do this. But all of that said, it's like, I... I appreciated this. What I think I needed was a confessional with Enzo or a confessional or a one-on-one after the fact explaining why he couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we certainly got from Leo uh, some childhood trauma about the water and how he, you know, he's afraid of the water. And it's like, I think he might be on the wrong show. I think he might be on the wrong show. Interesting that we didn't get this narrative at all with the tire competition when they had to grab onto the tire. Mm-hmm. And then fall into the water. Like I feel like there's been several. There's been several water challenges yeah. now where this. Well, we did come see up. him struggle in that last water challenge, but we didn't Sarah have the context. Some, exactly. Right. So I think that was necessary. But I want to say, well, could, do we talk, do we talk about the Leo moment now? Sure. I just thought it was so powerful. I thought it was so well done, and the reason why is because when he first jumps in the water. And you have that great moment where he's like hesitating to do it and he does it. First of all, I just, I will always have a great admiration for anyone that conquers a fear. I am someone who has my own set of fears that often get trivialized by others. And so to a lot of people, it might look like, oh, he's afraid of, and again, without the context, you're like, come on, dude, just like jump in the water. And it's like, no, like he will, but like allow him to like work himself up to that. But anyway, when he first jumped in, I was like, wow, Great that he did that. He's now going to have to jump uh, or climb up a thing, swing over the water, and then jump from something that seems like it's twice as tall. You know what I mean? Like, it was like the fear Mm -hmm. is that it's ongoing. So, like, him jumping in, like, there's no turning back in a sense. So, for him to do it, that swing seemed very scary. You know, you don't know if you're going to be able to land. I just thought that for him to attempt it, at all, I thought was so brave. And I just thought that moment of him with his arms in the air once he got there. And then I believe the person he was pointing at was TJ. I could be wrong. They did a wide shot and it seemed as though he was pointing at TJ or someone, which is just, the, and again, my interpretation was, you doubted me, you doubted me, I can do it. And I just think mm. like, if these shows are for nothing else, you know, we, the audience, it's for drama and entertainment and blah, blah, blah. But for some of those contestants, it can be about conquering fears. And I just think that was like, I just, I love that little package. And it, I, and I was just, I was, I was rooting for him. Do you know who else is notoriously afraid of water? Is this a survivor contestant? No. Cats. Oh. Like the animal? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know Leo's whole thing is that he's a cat. <laughs> Didn't come up this episode. 
It didn't, no. Thank God. I would say, like, so if Kiki is the third, is it the 33rd cast member? 29th. Oh, the 29th. So if Kiki is the 29th, I would say Cats would be the 30th. Just Cats as a species. Cats the musical. Cats the musical. (laughs) Uh, Another great moment I thought that we got in the challenge was this really throwaway moment between Cachet and Kyland, where they're getting ready to jump in the water. And I thought it was one really funny because it was like we saw what they thought we weren't supposed to see (laughs) and uh, where Kylan's going, okay, so what are we saying? We're saying spring break, you know, and like they're clearly like that's the kind of conversation you're having off screen. Um, And then you're going to do the jump and it's going to be on TV and they're going to go spring break and everyone's going to go LOL or what. And then. Um, but the reason we get that is because he said, okay, so we're going to say spring break. And then what do you want me to throw you? And she's like, don't you ever touch me? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I loved that. Which is such a great micro beat, but then also interesting. Cause when they ran, she like, they grab onto each other. And so to me, it was like, it was very much a consent thing, which is that like, it's not that I, it's not, it's not that, uh, I don't want to be touched. It's like, I, but I will do it. It's my terms. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was like a great moment. And again, like, such a small moment, but it's like, it told you a lot about cachet. And then also, again, I don't know a ton about Kyland because I don't care to. Not that I, yeah, I just, I, again, don't, not that I like have, have negative things about him, just, I just don't care. Um, but f- f- sources have told me that Kylan's kind of a creeper. Um, and I don't think that's like, uh, or creepy. And that's not like, you know, allegations against him or anything of that nature, but it's just that, so this, this, uh, I understood what Cachet was saying. Sources. Was it Jennifer Coolidge? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which makes me think though, Mike White on the Challenge USA. Yeah, I would watch. Just I would saying. watch. He's done The Amazing yeah, Race. He's done Survivor. Right, it seems like He's happening. got Love Island and The Challenge left. Bring him, I was going to say, bring him on with Coolidge as his partner. Um, but I also think Coolidge as the host for the challenge would be also really oh, great. Oh, that would be iconic. Um, but yes, I did really like, uh, I yes, I thought the challenge was overly complicated, but I did enjoy watching it. Um, but yeah, I feel like they, this has happened several times on this season of the show. It happened in the first episode where it's like, there's this really difficult challenge and then there's this moment at the end where you have to like puzzle solve and then if you get it wrong, you have to redo the challenge and the challenges themselves are a little too complicated to like start over. Mm -hmm. So on Survivor, like if it's like walk across this beam and it will be like, hey, if you fall off, you have to go start back at the beginning, which is like, okay, fine. You're going to lose a few seconds or, you know, at most maybe a minute or whatever. With this, again, in the first episode too, with like climbing up those stairs back up to that building, it's like, I think we need sort of like a contingency plan where it's like, if people fail the first round, they have to do X, Y, Z thing, but it can't be that you have to jump all the way back in the water, climb up the stairs, go across the rope, jump into the water, swim back. It was like, geez, like it, and again, because there's nine teams going that we're gonna have to watch, there's no way from an edit perspective that we're going to show the footage of a 10th go of this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That it's like, mm-hmm. I think we can simplify. It reminds me of the challenge from, I don't know if you'll remember this. It's from Survivor Cagayan where they have different sort of bins of things that they have to count. And they're like really tricky things. And there's many, many things. So there might be a bin of like, you know, 75 rocks and like 25 crabs and however many like, whatever, sticks. And they have to count them all. And there's so, so many. And then they have to like, put them all together to make a code that will release a key, et cetera, et cetera. And nobody can do it. Nobody can do it. And it's just like going so long and everybody's like putting their shot. And then they're just like, it just, there wasn't a way to show that in an interesting way on TV, especially when there's math and counting involved. It's like, we can't play along. We can't put really put ourselves in the situation. And so it's like, eh, how do you, how do you convey this on TV in an exciting way? Right. Also, did we need the, the um what were the things called that were floating above the water like oh like the shipping containers yeah the shipping containers did we need like the interior aspect <laughs> like the fact no, that I it was like so. right it's like they had to climb up and then they had to go and there was a top level and then the interior and it's like again like i appreciate okay don't get me wrong i think there's a middle ground here i think survivor um 
the challenges, especially in the last 10 years, are overly simple and just, you know, too too often repeated. With the challenge, I, I would much rather us swing in this direction, which is with the challenge, but I do think that they are like somewhat overcomplicated at times, mm-hmm. uh, could be more efficient. But again, if I had to choose between the two shows, I would go with the Challenge USA. But yeah, I do think that there's like, there almost seems like a final round of edits that need it. Like it's like, it's like the challenge designer comes in and the EP needs to be like, okay, love where we're going with this. Let's just strike this one part. Let's and- just make it for TV. Now let's make yeah. it for TV. <laughs> Do you know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. Like I love yeah. this concept. looks like a fun yep. game to play, but we need to show it on TV. Exactly. Uh, I actually really liked the idea of going into the, into the container. What I don't love is then that like, that complicated system of each symbol has a value and then you have to multiply the number by the value. And it's like, we can't play that at home. Like, I don't and find And then that the that question fun. too is, it's like, so in the instance with Sarah and Ben, it's like Sarah did fuck up seeing something, mm-hmm. but there is a world in which you just fucked up the math when you got back, mm-hmm. but you would have no way of knowing that where it's like, you don't know, did you miss something from the course or is it your you know, math skills, because if, yeah, and I think you should be able to, I don't know. I again. think, yeah, you should be able to, there should, it shouldn't be so formulaic as to say, we got the code wrong. We have to go back out. It's like, right. Let them try again. Let them try right. another math. It's almost problem. like you need a checkpoint when you get first get back from the water. That's like, okay, you pass the water portion. Now mm-hmm. you move, like, you know, now you move on to the math. Like something. when you're playing a game and it's saved and you go to your last saved point. Exactly. Exactly like that. Well, they had that in the first challenge with the scaling the building, right? They had three chances at guessing the answer at the code. And so it would have been interesting then, like, if, if Sarah was like, maybe I missed one, you know, you can you can alter a digit and see how that works. Or, like, even yeah. take your shot at just, like, changing one of the numbers. Um, that would be interesting. But... That's not the way it played. Something else here that is noteworthy is that, of course, Shannon has a hard fall on the net and uh, sprains something or stretches out her hamstring, um, but then sort of announces that that had happened. And then we get this confessional from Kayla saying, like, Challenge 101, never announce that you have an injury, which is interesting to me because something else I didn't really think about. But of course, that would make you an easy target, which it does uh, make Shannon. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I have a question from like production perspective where it's like, if someone is injured and you're working on this show and you know that it's very likely they could keep injuring themselves based off of, you know, knowing what's ahead. And I guess it's like there any responsibility from production to not necessarily remove her from the game, but like make her get an x-ray or like, is there anything to be done as far as like mitigating future damage that could be done when you know that someone like something like that has happened? I believe I strongly suspect they have a medical team on site yeah. and that if something is serious enough, much in the way of Survivor, that if it's going Yeah, but to- like, you think about like Bruce, was it Bruce in Panama? Yeah. Where it's like, they didn't step in for some time. Well, that was a very, very different time. Of that course, were, like, of course. Like, that was a very different time where they used to... They used to not give you band-aids if you cut yourself. Now they're all bandaged up constantly, right? Yeah. Um, hey, bring that ear back. <laughs> what was the one with the with the thing in the woman's ear? Oh, the bug in Kaurang. Yeah, now is that the kind of situation where like as she started feeling that, do you think in this they would be able to say, hey, something's going on in my ear? Yeah, for sure. Okay. They probably took a look at her. That is... Well, I know that was a it was a very disturbing time. Oh my god, the fact that they got the footage of it emerging. I know. Oh my god. Okay, that's a hard one to watch. Yeah. Okay. One other thing to note here is when Tyson and Kira don't finish that fall that Kira has when she's trying to swing from the rope over to the platform and uh, and Akira of course had been sick which she told us in a confessional that she had been hiding it from all of her competitors including her partner Tyson that she had been throwing up all night the night before um, and then she goes to make that final swing on the rope and just like spectacularly falls into the water uh, was quite a moment for me and then and then goes on to say you know what I can't do this anymore like 
done with this challenge, which like, fair enough. She fell sideways, uh, which can't have been nice. So ultimately it uh, comes down uh, to two teams who did not finish the challenge, both Tyson and Kira and Enzo and Justine. David and Desi are the winners. That is Desi's first win and David's first win, I believe. And uh, and so when it came down to the disqualified teams, what I understood was that Tyson and Kira went further in the challenge in that Tyson was actually on the platform. Um, is that not how it worked? No, sorry. No, no, no. I'm, I'm no, keep going. You're right. Okay. I have something so to add. that. That Tyson was actually on the platform, Kira had attempted, uh, whereas Enzo and Justine could not get onto the platform. And so because Tyson and Kira went further into the challenge, then Enzo and Justine default to the loser position. I think we just needed a little bit more of clarity on this because they got lucky. It seems like a call. Yeah, like this was, they were able to make that distinction, but what would have happened had both teams had a similar situation in which they both attempted one of the play? Like, let's say that Justine got over, Enzo attempted, fell off, was like, I can't do it again. Then what? I feel like we needed clarity around what would have happened. Or again, this challenge seemed like, because we're so used to there being a clear winner and a clear loser on every single challenge. And especially with the DQs here, they're just like, what happens if multiple players DQ? What was the, how is that call going to work? I can't hear DQ without thinking about Dairy Queen. I mean, it's not a bad thing. That's where my mind automatically goes. I was like, DQ, what could that stand for? (laughs) Uh, Underrated French fries, I think, all things considered. DQ's got a great food menu. They do. I, I, but it's actually like, it doesn't surprise me that they would because I feel like oftentimes in my experience when a place is known for like, you know, a Dairy Queen type place where they're like, oh, it, it's in the name. Hello. It's like, I am often like, give me like the B-sides. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love that. So but I don't I think their be... like ice cream is like memorable. It's not great, but I mean, it's good. It's a good Yeah, like you serve. need a DQ, but yeah. Yeah. I prefer the cones to like a blizzard, to be honest. I think the, the blizzard's, blizzard's overwhelming. Yeah, totally. It's I love their ice cream cake. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. good. It's good. Yeah. I always want an ice cream cake. I'm the kind of person that's like, when I was a kid and it was my birthday, it was like, I want an ice cream cake. But my birthday is in the middle of January. And so it's not the vibe. But I would like yeah, force but I feel my like- parents to get the ice cream cake. But also it's like gays are like, you know, iced coffee year round. I feel like there's this mm-hmm. can be a similar sentiment with like, but gays aren't really big on eating cake. Well, they are, yeah. but not food cake. <laughs> I was born this way, baby. Okay, so <laughs> I thought it would have been really interesting if they had put both disqualified teams in the arena plus a third. Like how interesting would it have been to watch three teams battle it out? Absolutely. Which is interesting that you say that because one of the current twists on Big Brother right now on the current season is something it's not worth explaining too much, but it's called the Festi Bestie. And because of the way it's panned out, there have been two teams of three. And so typically on Big Brother, there are two people up for elimination. But there's been several instances now where one of the teams of three have been put up for elimination. And for the first time, three people are on the Mm. block. And I think that again, to your point, it's like, I think that it's great when you have to bend the rules by circumstance. And I think that would have been really great, which is that like, hey, there's too many losers to choose a single one. And that would just be so exciting from a, you know, from the drama standpoint of like, you know, you're all losers. It's like, you know, those times on Drag Race or Top Model and Tyra Aru and back in the day, it would just be like, you're both going home. Yeah, Um, yeah. I feel like it would have that same sort of energy where it's like, you know, because TJ is all about like, are you qualifying for my final? So TJ mm-hmm. could be like, you couldn't, you couldn't complete my challenge. You're all yeah. up. And TJ's totally. just like had it. Totally, totally. Do you I think love TJ it. Like, ever snaps? Uh probably. Yeah, he probably has. He's probably got much more leeway with these people than say Jeff has with the survivors. Um, but probably less leeway than Julie has with the Big Brother contestants. He's somewhere in between. Like, Julie doesn't give a shit. Jeff is so heavily invested that someone looks at him the wrong way, he's going to snap. 
Julie where TJ, I feel like he's like he's he's invested, but he's having fun. He's like, yeah. ultimately, this is just a dumb reality show at the end of the day. I have so many questions about TJ, <laughs> especially because I'm watching. I'm currently watching season 12 of the challenge. I binged seasons 10 and 11 and season 12 is TJ's first season. So I'm meeting TJ who at that point is obviously new to the challenge, but is famed as a BMX player. But it's like now it's TJ Lavin of the challenge. And it's just interesting to think Mm. like I'm on season 12. I think there's 38 or something. There's something Mm -hmm. it's, it's close to survivor by way of seasons. And I'm just curious, like, you know, we're, we talk a lot about the evolution of Probst. I'm very curious about the evolution of TJ, especially for you and I who are, like, meeting him at his present day iteration. Yeah, I think about people coming into Survivor as new viewers and they're seeing this version of Jeff Probst. I'm like, what do oh they my God, right? Oh, my God, wait. Person? Can I just say, and I'm bringing this up because it was during the commercial. So there's, I don't know about your commercials because oh. you're in Canada. but <laughs> I know the commercial you're talking about. So we get commercials for the, uh, you know, CBS programming Mm -hmm. and Survivor coming back this fall. And it drives me fucking crazy how this show, and by this show I mean Survivor, only acknowledges its past three years. And it's like, there's a moment, like, they're trying to show that, like, Survivor's about family, Survivor's about blah, blah. And it's like, give me Brenda and her dad like Brenda's seeing her dad for the first time when we're talking about family. Or like there are so many powerful family moments from back in the day. I just feel like they want to show this like high gloss version of the show. And obviously as time goes on, the show looks more and more high definition for the obvious reasons. But I just, it drives me nuts that this show like doesn't acknowledge its past. Yeah. So I don't know that commercial, but I saw the commercial last week where they were doing like a behind the scenes of the challenge building on Survivor. Did you oh, see yeah, that? Yeah, I saw that one too. Yeah. And Jeff is just like Jeff is on full one. 10 out of 10 nut bar, like wearing his little hat, his little sun hat, and talking to the kid. Like it was just wild. It's like, how is this the commercial for Survivor? Just give give us some clips of 43. Who cares? Like nobody cares. Just right. show us like some confessionals or something or like a shot of a challenge. Um, not, not Jeff talking at the camera as other people build the challenge around him. Right. It's just so fascinating thinking about how much culture from the arts is erased because of this. Like, I feel like there's probably so many elements of survivors past that it's not proud of, but that like, are important. Um, like, I feel like the, for instance, the Johnny Fairplay grandma moment, which like the show used to be so proud of because mm-hmm. it was like such like a defining moment of reality television. The show would never acknowledge that now because it goes against the sort of like this new mindset of like young people that like we're catering to that aspire to play this game. And it's like that's sort of like a low grade sort of, you know, of a different time. Which it's fine, right? Like shows shows change over time, but the lack of acknowledgement is like the part that like really like bums me out. Or it's like yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I don't know if Big Brother is like this either, but I just recently saw a clip from Big Brother Six, Janelle's original season, uh, where it was that wild week where Jennifer had put Kaser up after promising not to during the challenge, and then it was just like all hell broke loose in the house where Janelle was getting drunk every night and screaming at the friendship, and it was so funny and like. And they were almost in on it, but not really in on it. And just like somebody put together a clip package of the fights from that week on Twitter. And it was so wild to see and like such a flashback to that time in my life where that totally consumed my summer. And uh, it's just like, I don't see that referenced ever. And I like, granted, I don't watch Big Brother, but I just like, that was such an iconic time to be watching reality TV that like, I just don't see it enough out there. Yeah, I mean, it's just like we've, again, like culturally, we've like moved away from chaos. We've moved away from chaos and towards gameplay. Like, like, it's all like game body now. Right, which, which, I think the bothersome thing, and honestly, we should do a whole longer talk on this, but it's basically like chaos can be, like can be in part of gameplay. Like there's this sort of like 
effort to separate the two, that it's like in order to, like we're moving away from chaos and into gameplay without recognizing that like those chaotic seasons had a ton of gameplay. It just was very different in how it looked. Um, and also, this is a side note, but it sort of relates to this. I'm, re- as I've said, I'm rewatching Pearl Islands right now. I'm about, I just, I'm, a, I'm about two thirds of the way through. And I'm so struck by just like how much back in the day, and I think this is Survivor, but I think in general, it's like, you just, there were certain people that you were never going to turn on. Like, th- I'm thinking about like Krista and Sandra, for instance, mm-hmm. where it's just like, they're in it together. And they're, or, or Tijuana and Dara, where it's like, they're just, they're always playing the game together. When they learn something, they tell one another. And it's not like this, like, oh, we have a final two or like, blah, blah, blah. It's just sort of like, this is my friend and I'm playing the game with my friend. Why wouldn't I play with the game with my friend who I like? And I feel like there's, that's also an ingredient missing where it's like, everything is so like, if we like each other, then we should work together. But I think back in the day, it was like, oh, we like each other. So let's just not take each other out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm currently rewatching Philippines, and I have to say that if we're talking about chaos and gameplay being one and the same, I think Abby Maria is just like excelling at that. I forgot how wild that pre-merge was with Abby Maria and RC, and like that they have an idol clue, and then Abby Maria shares it with uh, somebody else after she feels RC is like going behind her back, even though she's not. And then somebody plants the clue in RC's bag to fall out in the shelter and just like the chaos that erupts and the way that Abby Maria just like reacts. And and it's all and it's all gameplay. But that's great. Uh, that's a great marriage of chaos and gameplay. Totally. However, I will say a knock against Abby Maria, who I don't think meets the bar of iconic, is that like I feel like Abby Maria became aware of how she was perceived and then decided to like become the character version of who she originally was. And I think that's Abby Maria's sort of downfall. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that for second chance, but I also think that. I would rather watch her on Second Chance being the caricature of Abby Maria than I would many, many other people. T. T. But that's Survivor. (laughs) That's Survivor. We've gone off on a tangent. Okay, so after the challenge, uh, so we have, let's recap here. David and Desi winning, Enzo and Justine losing. And so we're back at the house and Enzo and Justine say that they're prepared to go against anyone. They're not really giving David and Desi much to work with here. They're just looking at the leaderboard and basically saying whatever you want. And it's coming back to this sort of like safe gameplay thing, I think, where they don't want to throw a name out and then have it get back to that name because who knows who that person is going to be partnered with next week and are they going to target them? I think that's probably a result of seeing how Tyson reacted to hearing that Ben threw his name out there um, and this sort of like environment that's built up in the house around um, backstabbing and turning on people and it seems to be taken kind of personally Um, and so nobody's really willing to throw much out there which is I think a detriment to the show it's probably a good game strategy given the context but it seems to be like weighing at least for me this episode down a little bit. So basically what we have here is that David wants to make a big move, putting up either Tyson and Kira or Kylan and Cachet. And Justine would prefer to play it safe, throwing out Derek and Shannon's name. So that's sort of like the dichotomy we're working with with the winning pair. And they also throw out Leah and They also throw out Leo and Kayla's name as another easy option, in addition to Derek and Shannon. Um, We do get a shot of Derek and Shannon talking about her injury and like trying to hide it, although it seems like the house kind of knows about it. Um, Derek is trying to help her out, being like, let's go stretch and like make it look like, you know, you have no mobility issues. Um, But we also see... Justine go to Kira and sort of like coach her through her illness because she's still throwing up and she's trying to be like just make sure nobody can see you uh, make sure that you're drinking a lot of water I thought that this was really interesting because you know Justine's in the bottom she knows that Tyson and Kira are an option to put into the arena and is it like she doesn't want to does she not want to go against Tyson? And so she's trying to help Kira out here. Um, we never really got her perspective on this. Or was mm-hmm. she just being a friend? I know that could be the case. 
But regardless, huge episode for the Ligs. I mean, all around. It's like everyone sort of had mm-hmm. a moment in this episode amongst them um, about whether or not they were going to go, go up or even, as we were saying earlier, the scene with Cache and Sarah. It was just uh, a very Ligs-centric ep. Yeah, and we also got a scene with Tyson and Angela talking, who, of course, are old allies. And Shout out I to I feel like Angela's we haven't glasses. seen Angela a whole lot. I love the glasses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I forgot. Uh, we had all that stuff at the beginning of the episode. It was like, you know, with Ben and Sarah v. Tyson. I forgot that, like, Tyson has his own number two. Although I would say in the Ben Sarah, it's not really a number one, number two. It's very much two alphas. Um, but I forgot that, like, if, if you know, in, in the world war that's being created here, I forgot that Tyson would have someone by his side. Yeah, and right, Angela was paired with Dom, correct? And so Dom was worried about that as well because it was like, well, if let's say, um, I don't know what the scenario would be, but if somebody wanted to take that indirect shot at Tyson, they could go for Angela in the way that Tyson was trying to take a shot at Ben by going for Sarah. And so like that puts you at risk. And I think that that's like an interesting sort of uh, spanner in the works when it comes to the... uh, the strategy on the show. Yeah, but that's not really real. Like, I go, taking Angela out doesn't affect... I mean, Tyson's going to the finale unless someone takes him out, but, like, what would taking Angela out do... I, I just don't really... I guess, I guess the one thing that could hurt is, like, Angela has a good chance of winning, and if Angela wins, she's never going to be gunning for Tyson. So I do understand why Tyson wants Angela around, but I don't think it necessarily, like... From a strategic standpoint, I think it's a little overthinking it. Well, I do think that there's this element of we get a hint that there may be a winner's alliance going on because somebody says, it's, I think it's Desi because she would be in the position. Uh, she says that I don't want to be the first person to take a shot at a winner. Why do I want to say that Justine said that? Anyway, somebody has somebody said it. Who was a winner? Either this was Desi's but like first we already win took shots at the win. Amazing Race winner. He's gone. Not 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 the winner of a show, but the winner of a challenge. Oh, and so sorry, there's sorry, been sorry, this sorry, sorry, there's been this it. talk. There's been this talk of uh, the strong sticking together, which was really pushed by Tyson. But it seems like what that may have meant is that those of us who have won, we've got to protect each other because people are going to be coming for us. And, you know, we have money that people want. And so, like, let's, if we're in a winning position, not take out other winners. Let's just go to the finals together. That seems to be the implication that somebody that I I want to say was Desi said, uh, I don't want to be the first to take a shot at a winner. So let's head to the arena where David and Desi put up Derek and Shannon, which was kind of a shock to me because, like you said, I think they did throw us off the scent of that decision, uh, although it was thrown out there and you can see it on say, a rewatch. I th- sort of thought it was going to be them, but then in my mind I was like, "There's, there, there's, they've been so under-edited that there's no yeah. way it's them. But then it was like, so, my, so then my brain was like, again, which is the great thing about these shows where like, you think you can outsmart them, then you're like, no, they're smarter than this. They wouldn't do this, but then they actually do the thing that you didn't. Yeah. So I I, I like that. I think that was a good yeah. good mislead. And I feel like the strategy here is sort of twofold. Where uh, what we hear is, you know, Shannon's got an injury um, that makes her an easy target. You know, if we put her in there. We don't have to deal with the ramifications of her coming back. It's going to be really hard for her to win this challenge. And so maybe she's an easy target that one is not going to have significant ramifications on me because, um, you know, I don't know how close her alliances are. uh, And, you know, she's up against another Love Island girl. So it's like, I think the damage is like kind of fine there. Derek I haven't really gotten a great sense of where he sits with the other big brother players, but I mean, they all seem to be falling apart anyways. Um, But also it's like, if I'm a man in the house, I don't want to be partnered with Shannon next week because of this injury. Like, are we just going to be close to the bottom or, or up for elimination again? Like I would want to eliminate that sort of like question mark. Totally. So she goes in, there is like a passing comment that Alyssa makes about, (laughs) 
about like how dare David be going against another Big Brother player, which is rich coming from Alyssa. Queen. Given, you know, what she did with Xavier. Yeah, no, totally. But interesting, interesting that they included that. So the challenge that they have to play is called Spelling Ebe. And the teams, uh, as it's described, there's a little fake out here uh, that TJ describes that they simply have to transfer tires from one stack to another stack. And like from the get go, I was like, this is such an easy challenge. And there's kind of like this false start where Derek tries to start, but before the horn goes off, when that's when TJ announces, actually, there's a twist to this challenge. And I was expecting something big. Like, well, yeah. And also, we they'd have this... to do it on their hands and knees or something. Right. Well, we didn't get anything big. And then we do get this voiceover or the shot of Enzo saying, there's always a catch with TJ. And my first reaction to that was, no, there's not. There's not typically a catch with TJ. Can you think of a catch that we've experienced this season? I think he's been pretty straightforward about this is the challenge. There's been a couple times. There's been at least one time that I can think of in an arena situation where oh there's been two twice i think where in okay, the arena it's like it's like we're doing uh the the water tank one where you have to release the blocks and blah 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 and he goes through the whole challenge and at the very end he goes but that would be too easy so there's also a plug that's draining the water got it okay well then so I, there's okay. that and then i think there was like the panes of glass also maybe was another one that he had to Fair. explain at the last second just so strange to have them it's like he's presenting this game but it's one round per contestant so it's just such a strange, like you think yeah. that there would be more to this, but at the same time, because it's five tires, there's a world in which they did, instead of one round, five rounds with one tire per round, as opposed to one round with five mm -hmm. tires. Yeah, the spelling really fell flat for me. <laughs> Especially when it's like goggles. It's like, yeah. I, yeah, like give us a word that requires a little bit of thinking. And they got lucky with Justine not knowing the spelling of cynical, but like, had she known it was C and not S, it's like they would have played that game and it would have all been for nothing. For nothing. For nothing. Would they have even shown that? Would they have just renamed the challenge? Um, yeah. But otherwise, like, such a simple challenge, simple in its sort of, like, conceit that they just have to remove a tire from a stack one at a time and then create a new stack. Uh, but interesting to see how it played out with Derek and Shannon sort of stacking these really, really high stacks that couldn't stay up and then just constantly falling over, uh, whereas you had um, Enzo and Justine sort of, like, taking a little bit more of a strategic approach to the stacking of the tires, which is, like... I can't believe I'm talking about like the strategy of stacking tires because it's so basic. I like I felt like this this is the easiest challenge they've done in the yes. arena so far. Yes. Um uh, and Enzo and Justine win. This is another win for Justine, who is like a full arena challenge beast at this point. So uh, really loving to see her continue to win. And Shannon Shannon and Derek are eliminated, of course. Farewell to uh Shannon. Farewell to Shannon. Uh, not a purple edit per se, but we didn't get a ton of Shannon, but mm -hmm. I enjoyed having her around. I'm not going to miss her, but like she's was a part of this show and that is a fact. <laughs> she was definitely um, on the show. She was on the show. Uh, and then Derek, I just feel like was not a big... Uh, component of this show i was surprised he seemed like a he seemed like a possible like really big character early on and yeah. then he kind of faded i feel like that kind of happened on his time on big brother as well um oh. but uh i do feel like now we're at a point where we're really st i still feel like there's a little bit more fat to trim i don't think we're like quite in the thick of it but like we're inching closer and closer um but sorry, while it's on my mind, I did just want to say, I realized that I, I stopped doing the emoji comments um, yeah. in the recent well, I haven't so been, I, just, I haven't been doing a hard post for all of the challenge episodes, just when there's like good survivor content. Oh, okay. Well, if you feel inclined on any of our <laughs> posts in the, over the next week. And just pick a post. <laughs> I wanted to choose the crutch emoji um, to say, mm. you know, in honor of Shannon, um, our fallen comrade. So uh, the crutch emoji, comment on any of our recent posts with the crutch emoji. And I did just want to add, I was hoping to have a very special call in for this episode. I've heard back from the person as we're um, recording, and they are going to record a little something for us that I will have to include in our next episode. Um, 
but I hope people can look forward to that. And Sean, I'm not going to tell you who or what it uh, is. I have you, a guess. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I have a guess, but I'm not going to say it out loud. Okay. I'm and gonna I, write it on I a can, piece of paper and I'll I can, reveal my piece of paper next. I can uh, say that your guess is is a ninety nine point nine percent correct. <laughs> okay, that's very exciting. Wow, I can't know. wait to hear from her. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, with that, we will wrap it up. We have lots going on over on the Patreon. We've recapped uh, two episodes of Snake in the Grass. Our Aussie interview is out in its full glorious video form. Our Courtney interview will be going up in full video form on Monday. That's a very fun one. Uh, You know, when you're listening to the podcast, you don't get to see all of Courtney's uh, eye rolls and gestures and hair flips and laughs. So I have made sure to edit those all in for you to enjoy it's an iconic interview so that is available for uh, subscribers to our patreon make sure that you check uh, the links in the show notes if you want to check out the tiers there and see the benefits and we have lots of fun plans uh, for new patreon content coming up you'll also uh, get uh, our new interviews which we hope to be recording in the next couple of weeks uh, you will get those uh, a few days early if you are in the top tier uh, on our patreon so look forward to that otherwise you can subscribe to this so you don't miss our upcoming episodes on the main feed and rate and review it if you liked it and don't forget to follow us on at drop your buffs pod and comment crutches thank you so much for listening bye bye